0: Good evening, folks. Welcome to the mine. We're so glad to have you tonight. We are excited once again to be here. We hope you're excited to be here tonight. We're going to have a great night at the mine tonight. Great worship. And uh, we believe a good word from the Lord tonight to encourage you. We're going to be talking about being filled with the Spirit tonight. So if you can't get excited about that, your excitement meter just isn't working right, okay? A couple of announcements. Don't forget that this semester will end on May 13th, and we're going to end strong. Next week, we're going to talk about the husband-wife relationship from Ephesians 5. The next week, we're going to be talking about the parent-child and employee-employer relationship from chapter 6. And then the last two weeks, on May 16th and 13th, we're going to devote to spiritual warfare. How do we as Christians defend ourselves against the attacks of the devil How does the devil attack us? All of that. That's going to be coming up at the end of the semester, so we hope you'll hang in there with us all the way through May 13th. Also, don't forget this summer is a four-week summer Bible study, July 8th, 15th, 22nd, and 29th. The last four Tuesdays of July will be right here in the auditorium to study 2 Timothy, and then beginning on Tuesday, August 19th, the so fall semester will start back up, and we'll be studying the book of James on Tuesday night. Yeah, great book. All right, enough commercials. Let's pray, and then let's worship the Lord tonight. Here, here's one of the cool things. You know, we can say, "Boy, is there somebody in history that I could spend a day with?" You know, well, for me, you know, being I would love to maybe spend a 24-hour period with somebody like Abraham Lincoln or Alexander the Great or whatever. And yet, one of the things the Lord reminded me of the other day is like, don't forget about this, Jeff, that as a Christian who's indwelt by the Spirit of God, I get to walk with God every day of my life. I think that's pretty cool. Spending every day with God. So, we're going to rejoice in that tonight, and we're going to celebrate that tonight before we dive into Ephesians. So, let's pray, and then we'll turn it over to these guys. Lord, thank you so much for the Holy Spirit of God. Uh, We're just so thankful that we do not have to walk through life on our own That God you are with us you are in us you indwell us you strengthen us Lord you're just there and and we can We can have you Lord walking with us every step of the way And then God you provide our brothers and sisters in Christ To be able to walk alongside of us as well and encourage us and then you give us the Bible To encourage us as well Lord so many different things The privilege of prayer. So God, we just want to come tonight saying, you know, we might have had a rough day, a rough week, whatever. But God, we just want this next hour and 15 minutes to be a special time in our life where we just allow you to come in, invade our hearts and minds, revive us, refresh us. Lord, just send us out of here tonight just different than when we come in, Lord. And we ask this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you, guys. Thank you so much. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 through 21 tonight. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 through 21. Not a very big passage, but there's a lot in there that we want to talk about tonight. Here's what Paul says. Therefore, be very careful how you live, not as unwise, but as wise. Taking advantage of every opportunity because the days are evil. For this reason, do not be foolish, but be wise by understanding what the Lord's will is. And do not get drunk with wine which is debauchery, but be filled by the Spirit. Speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making music in your hearts to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for each other in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, and submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. First of all, in verse 15, Paul encourages us as Christians to make sure that that we pay very close attention to our Christian life, that, that we... Have very careful examination of our thoughts, words, and deeds, continually bringing them into conformity to the will of God. It's what he means by the phrase, therefore be very careful how you live. The word careful is a, is a term of accuracy in the Greek language. and In essence, what Paul is saying is this, he, he's not questioning the direction that the Ephesians are going. He's questioning the degree of accuracy. It would be just like, say, on a map or going a direction. We can all say, you know, Tucson is somewhere south of Phoenix. But it would be pretty inaccurate to just tell somebody to start at Phoenix and go directly south because they're probably going to miss Tucson. You're going in the right direction, but you're still not accurate enough to get to your destination. That's exactly what Paul is saying here to the Ephesians. He says even for us sometimes as Christians, we're going in the right direction, but are we still accurate enough? Are are we making sure that our thoughts, words, and deeds are totally lining up with what the Bible teaches, with what the Spirit of God is leading us to do? Because even though we may be in the right direction, we also want to make sure in a sense that, that we're making a direct hit, if you will, where God wants us to make that hit. It's sort of what Paul says in 1 Corinthians nine twenty seven when he tells the Corinthians, I don't run the race uncertainly. In other words, I always as a Christian should know where the finish line is, what the goal is, what I should keep my eyes on. And a couple of weeks ago when we talked about goals as a Christian, we covered that. And then he goes on to say in 1 Corinthians nine twenty seven, and I don't just beat the air like one who's boxing beats the air. In other words, I don't just go through my Christian life just throwing a bunch of punches hoping something hits. Paul says, no, I'm very strategic, I'm very intentional, that when I throw a blow, in a sense, as a Christian, I want to make sure it hits exactly what God wants me to hit with that blow, with that that opportunity, with that service, with that ministry. And that's what Paul's talking about here, that we've got to be very, very careful. In a sense, it... Living the Christian life to the highest degree is a precision thing. No less than, say, you take your car to the mechanic. You, you want a mechanic who's, who's got precision. You don't want them to just generally tinker in there, well, I, I think I got this fixed. No, they've got to be precise. And you certainly don't want a surgeon operating on you who's not precise. You want to make sure that if they go in there and do some kind of operation inside of you, that, that they're very precise with those instruments and all of that. God's saying, then, shouldn't we as Christians be precise about eternal things? Shouldn't we be precise about the Word of God and how we handle it? And making sure that we get it right rather than, well, we're in the general vicinity, which is what I think a lot of Christians are satisfied with. And Paul says, no, no, no. Let's make sure that we live very carefully. Because you'll also notice at the beginning of verse 15, he uses the word, therefore, which links back up to the verse we ended with last week about making sure that we're waking up out of our spiritual slumber, that we're not apathetic, indifferent, you know, all of that in our Christian life, just going through the motions, and that we're waking up and and waking up out of our lethargy as a Christian so that the light of Christ can shine upon us. And so that we have a, a clarity to our life and that we know exactly where God wants us to go. But that's going to happen only as I awake, only as by faith I take that step of faith and obey the Word of God and the Spirit of God as He's leading me. And then the light of God will come into my life and light my way. And as we talked about last week, not just light my way, but as my way is lighting up, then I'm able to light other people's light up by directing them to the light that's lighting my way as well. So that's why Jesus said... I'm the light of the world. But then he turns around and says to all of us, you are the light of the world. And in John 8, 12, he says, I am the light of the world, and he who follows me shall never walk in darkness, but have the light of life. And that's what Jesus wants us all to have. But we have to be very careful how we live. Notice, not as unwise, but as wise. You see, God wants us to walk in wisdom. And and really, a careful walk is a wise walk. Uh, a careless walk would be an unwise walk. And then many would ask the, the question that would come and, well, how do I walk wisely as a Christian? Well, a couple of things. First of all, I think we have to realize that the wisdom that we need to live life doesn't come from within us, that, that as human beings, we, we have a very limited capacity. To be able to navigate life and solve the problems of life and live above the circumstances of life. So therefore we need to acknowledge every day really that we need the wisdom of God. That's why James 1, five says if any of you lack wisdom let's ask of God and God will give it to you. God is not, you know, not desiring his children to have wisdom. But he does want us in humility to acknowledge that we need that wisdom before he bestows it upon us. I think the second thing we need is a right relationship with God. In order to have that wisdom, we need to maintain that right relationship with God. And part of that is just living an obedient life. All through the Old Testament and New Testament, the light of God shines on the obedient. The wise person is not the smartest person intellectually. It's not the person who has the highest IQ. That has nothing to do with biblical wisdom. That has nothing to do with God's wisdom. The person who is wise in God's eyes is the person who understands and acknowledges that I need the wisdom of God in order to live every day. And God, I'm relying upon your wisdom to saturate my mind. And then once I find out what your mind is on something, I will obey. And that's what being a wise person is all about. Because as we're going to see here tonight, wisdom is fleshed out in the way I live. You see, again, the way the world uses wisdom a lot of times, is it's always an intellectual thing. It's an analytical thing. And God says, no, you can tell the wisdom of somebody by the way they live their life. Because if they're living their life in accordance with the Word of God under the direction of the Spirit of God and the will of God, their life is going to reflect certain things. And the person who's not living by the will of God, not living by the wisdom of God, their life is going to reflect certain things. So we truly flesh out whether we're walking as wise and not as unwise. And again, you can go back to Ephesians chapter 1 where we started this study you know, a couple months ago now and see that God has bestowed upon us all insight and wisdom when we became Christians. And it's not a matter of like we don't have the capacity to understand in order to have the wisdom of God. We just need to tap into it. And even God has given us the Word of God that contains the wisdom of God as well. So he says once again... Be very careful how you live, not as wise, but as unwise. And here's the other importance then of living a wise life, of, of walking wisely. Because that wisdom that God gives me is going to enable me, verse 16, to be able to know what opportunities in life God wants me to seize. And not only to know what opportunities God wants me to seize but to have the wherewithal, to have the strength to be able to seize them when they come. One of the things that the Bible teaches us, like Moses in Psalm 90 says, Lord, teach us to number our days that we can apply our hearts to wisdom. In other words, every day I, I need to know that I've only got one life. We do not believe the Bible teaches reincarnation, so that if we get it wrong the first time, we can come back and do it all over again. No, we believe the Bible teaches that God gives us one life and that's it. And so I need to be reminded of that every day. I've got one life. Therefore, do I not want to live it to its fullest? Do I not want to grab everything that life has to offer me in relationship to my walk with God? And that's exactly what this verse is talking about. And the way I can do that is by just soaking up the wisdom of God and seizing those opportunities when they come, and knowing what opportunities God wants me to take. Because again, God doesn't want me to take every opportunity that comes under my radar. Uh, Just because I tell people all the time who are especially stressed out, and, and, and they're taking too much on, and they can never say no, I say, listen, just because you know of a need, doesn't mean God is holding you personally responsible to meet that need. That's true of all of us. Just because I am aware of something doesn't mean God is holding me responsible to get involved with that. Now, He may, but He's not going to... Every need in the world is now on Jeff's shoulders and somehow Jeff has to step up. No. God's going to spread that responsibility out to many, many different people, and God doesn't want that responsibility to be shouldered by any one person or any small group of people. But when the opportunities that God wants me to take comes along, if I'm walking carefully, if I'm trying to live an accurate life, and if I'm walking in God's wisdom, I will know what those opportunities are that God wants me to take, and I will have at that moment the strength to take them, knowing, again, because I only have one life. And I realize that life is very frail, it is very fragile, that sometimes, not always, but sometimes those opportunities that I pass up will never come by again. And that's why it's so important to be walking carefully as a Christian and to be walking in God's wisdom so that I can see sometimes those once-in-a-lifetime opportunities that will never come by again. I may be more sensitive to the fragileness of life than maybe some others. I don't know. Because a lot of times our past, our history, our experiences shape us. Uh, I had a brother and sister who died before I was born Uh, My brother died when he was four. My sister died when she was three. So I grew up in a family that was very well aware of the fact that, you know, we might not live to 100. And then my father died when he was 58, pretty young. So I have no illusions that, like, I'm going to be on this earth forever, And I think it's because of even some of the experiences in my own family that I have experienced and grown up with that I'm very well aware that this day could be Jeff Royce's last day and I want to make sure that I live today to the very fullest and to the glory of God because I have no promise of tomorrow and I've seen that fleshed out in thousands of people's lives including in my own family's life. And I'm so glad my father was in such tune with God that the 58 years that he did live life, man, he lived it for God, and he lived it for God's glory, and he lived it to the fullest. So that when he died, even at 58, he had made quite an impact for the Lord. And most of that impact was on his son. And if I have a love for God and a love for the Word of God, a lot of that credit can go back to the example and the influence that my father had in my life. And that's why Paul says, guys, let's wake up. Let's realize we've only got one life. Let's realize that the days are ticking away. That our life is just a vapor. We are here for a little time and then we're going to pass away. So no wonder, Paul says to the Ephesians, let's take advantage of every opportunity because the days are evil. And let's remember something. As we take advantage of these opportunities that God gives us, let's remember to count the cost. Because it is going to cost us something in time and effort. It means, though, that we are willing to pay the price and the time and effort it takes sometimes to buy up those opportunities. Just like you folks who come to the mine on Tuesday night. You realize the time and effort it takes to be here every Tuesday night to study the Word of God. It's an opportunity that you want to seize, but obviously it costs you something. Another encouraging thing I think that Paul is saying is this, I've run into a lot of Christians over the years who said, Jeff, one of my regrets is I didn't come to the Lord till later on in life, and I missed a lot early on in my life. Well, One of the things that this verse I think is teaching is that God can so accelerate our growth that that we can so, in a sense, redeem the time or buy back some of that time that maybe we lost early on in our life before we came to Christ. And so I hope that will encourage you as well. But the other thing Paul reminds us of is don't forget, the reason why God wants us to shine brightly as His light is because, notice, the days are evil. And the blacker the night, the more important the light. And so God is saying to His church and to us as individual Christians, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works in heaven or see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Let's shine for God. That's why, again, Paul says in verse 14, Awake, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Because God wants us and our lives to light up the darkness around us. And it doesn't take hardly any light at all to make an impact. Uh, We were talking about that after the mine with a few people last week. And uh, I said, you know, one of the illustrations that came to my mind even before last week was the fact you could go into a huge stadium, And that stadium could be totally dark. And in the corner of that stadium, somebody could light a match. And you could see that match. Because it doesn't take any light at all to begin to light the darkness around it. And so God wants us to light our light and let it shine. Verse 17. For this reason, do not be foolish. Let's not spend our times on things that aren't going to count for eternity. Let's not spend one day being wasteful. Of the time that God has given us. But be wise by understanding what the Lord's will is. And God is saying to his people, I'm not here to hide my will from you. I want you to know my will. I think a lot of Christians think that God's will is sort of like this hide and seek that God plays. And they've got to spend their whole Christian life trying to figure out what God's will is for their life. First of all, there are many places in the Bible where it just explicitly says, this is the will of God. And God says, so before you want to know some things that maybe I haven't included as my will, why don't we focus on the things that clearly are my will in the Word of God, and let's focus on those things, and then we'll move on from there. But I want to direct your attention in verse 17 to the word understanding. It's a very interesting word. It's it's a word that was used about putting puzzles together, which is really what wisdom is all about. It's the skill of living in this way. Okay, as a Christian, hopefully I'm growing in my understanding of the Bible. I'm beginning to know the mind of God. I'm beginning to know the principles and precepts of God's Word. But then over here, I've got situations in life. Okay? i got this situation that came up. i got this situation. i got this relationship problem. I've got this relationship struggle. And here's what wisdom is. Here's what understanding is from God's perspective. It is not just learning the Bible... And having the circumstances of life, it is being able to put those together. And to know what Bible principles, what Bible verses, what Bible passages apply to life's situations. That's what understanding is. That's why it's used to putting a puzzle together. Because part of our spiritual growth and maturity, as we grow in our understanding of the Bible, and as life's situations come up, is being able to know what principles from God's Word to match with that situation in life. That's what God considers to be wisdom. That's why God considers wisdom a skill in living life. Again, it has nothing to do with just head knowledge. It has to do with how I live my life and how I match my Bible knowledge to the situations that confront me in life. And that's what he means by being wise and understanding what the Lord's will is. Because again, the Lord's will is revealed to us not just in the big things of life. That so many times when we talk about the Lord's will, it's like, wonder what, you know, job God wants me to have if I've got, you know, two different job offers and things like that. And certainly, you know, I'm not saying God's not interested in that. But God's interested in each and every situation that we find ourselves in in life. And he wants us as Christians to be humble enough to know that I can't handle that life situation by myself in my own wisdom, in my own strength. So God, I'm going to ask you, or I'm going to find out from your word, how do I handle that? I'm going to look to you to help guide me. And that's why the Bible says your word is a lamp unto my feet, a light unto my path. I can clearly know how God wants me to handle something in my life because I'm growing in my knowledge of the word of God and now the spirit of God is going to help me take the word of God and apply it to that specific situation. That's why then in the context, notice verse 18. And do not get drunk with wine, which is debauchery, but be filled by the spirit. First of all, everything that Paul talks about in chapter 5 and chapter 6 goes back to this very important imperative that's in the present tense in the Greek language, which means it's a continual command. It's something that every believer in Jesus Christ is continually obligated to allow the Spirit of God to fill them. And we're going to talk about what that means tonight, because that's a very important foundational principle in our life. But I also want us to know that it is by being filled with the Spirit and by allowing the Spirit to fill me that I can be wise. That I can have that understanding. That I can take advantage of the opportunities when God wants me to take advantage of them. That I can have the strength to do it when they come. That I can be very careful and accurate about... It It all goes back to being filled with the Spirit. Now, a couple of things. Why does the Bible, why does God use drunk with wine in connection with filled with the spirit for this reason i think it's a very illustrative picture even though it's a contrast in both cases the person who is under the influence or you know under the influence of alcohol or under the influence of the spirit and that's why he uses it you see the person who's drunk with wine is being influenced by an outside source and their behavior is going to be affected by too much wine, okay? The Bible is saying, okay folks, that's exactly what the filling of the Spirit is. That's how we understand the Spirit. Just like I drink too much wine and it affects my behavior, by being filled with the Spirit, it influences my, or should influence my behavior in a positive way. Another thing we need to say is this. A lot of people misunderstand that the filling of the Spirit, that they look at the Spirit as the contents of the filling rather than the means of the filling. And the Spirit of God is not the content of the filling. There's a lot of people that believe it means to be filled with the Spirit. Like when I became a Christian, I just got this much of the Holy Spirit, just a little tiny bit. And as I grow as a Christian, I get a little bit more, and then I get a little bit more. and By the time I've been saved for 50 years, I got all the Spirit. Wow, no. When we become a Christian, we get all of the Spirit. There is no verses in the Bible that talk about us getting the Spirit piecemeal. Like, okay, God's going to give you 10% of the Holy Spirit when you get saved, and then a little bit more later, and a little bit more later. No. When you and I become a Christian, we get all the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit is the means by which God influences our lives and our behavior. And we are to allow the Holy Spirit to influence us, to direct us, to guide us, to control our behavior. That's what the Spirit means by be filled with the Spirit. And I wrote down here in my Bible something to remind myself of. Spiritual growth is really an issue of control. And there's a lot of folks that struggle with control in their life. You know, they they want to be in control of everything and they try to stay in control of everything and you know, we call them control freaks or whatever. And and can I just say that that for those kind of people who are wired that way, being filled with the spirit's going to be a little bit more of a challenge because to be filled with the spirit is to relinquish control and to allow Another power, a greater power, the power of God to control and influence and direct rather than me being in control. As we've said here many times in you know, sermons and what on Sunday, Lynn or Ron or someone else, it's, it's me getting out of the driver's seat and allowing God to be in the driver's seat. And that's what being filled with the Spirit is. But that means I've got to relinquish control. Another good way to illustrate the filling of the Spirit, since we're in baseball season now and the Diamondbacks are doing really well, uh, is with a baseball glove. You, you put that glove, that, that glove was made for a purpose, but that glove can't do anything on its own until it's filled with somebody's hand. And once it's filled with somebody's hand, then that hand can direct that glove to be very useful and accomplish what that glove, that mitt, was made for, was designed for. That's exactly what the filling of the Spirit is. It is allowing the Holy Spirit to come in and basically take control of my life and begin to influence me. And that's why the Bible also says, guys, this is an ongoing, everyday thing. This isn't something where I get filled by the Spirit and then I don't need to be filled by the Spirit. It's not a one-time thing in my life. It is continually allowing the Holy Spirit control saying, God, I'm not in control. You're in control. I relinquish control. Here, you influence me. You take over my life. You direct my life. You direct my speech. You direct how I'm going to relate to this person today. Allow the Spirit of God to control. That's why a lot of times in, say, relationship issues, especially with, and I'm not just talking about marriages, but just even friendships and stuff that's rocky and stuff, and, and people are saying things to each other, and we've already talked about speech and how hurtful our speech can be. One of the real practical things I say is, look, you may have to, every time you talk to that person, just pray, Holy Spirit, you've got to be in control of my mouth so that I don't say something that I shouldn't say. And, and then trust that the Holy Spirit will do that and allow Him to control what comes out of my mouth rather than me being in control. When I lose control, because I can't control myself all the time, that's when trouble comes. Only God can control our tongue. Only God can control this flesh. And so I've got to relinquish control to Him and be filled with the Spirit. Another point. The only way I can obey the commands of the Scriptures is by being filled with the Spirit. Therefore, therefore, if we do not obey this command... We cannot obey any other command of Scripture. That's pretty important. Because I need the help of the Spirit of God in order to obey God. I cannot obey God on my own. It's not like I can divide the, the Bible into, well, these are the harder commandments, but these are pretty easy. I No. I need the Lord to help me to obey all things. Not just to love your enemies and pray for those who hurt you. Yeah, certainly. I'll admit, yeah, I need the Holy Spirit for that. No, I need the Holy Spirit every day for everything. And it's living that humble dependence upon the Holy Spirit that God is looking for in my life. God will give me all the guidance, direction, light that I'm looking for in my life as long as I turn my life over to Him And allow the Spirit of God to fill me. Now, again, a lot of different views out there. There's some people that feel like that when a person is filled by the Holy Spirit, there's only sort of one manifestation, one evidence of the filling of the Spirit. And that is speaking in tongues. Can I just say that that's just one of hundreds of evidences of being filled with the Spirit? and that I do not that I do not have to feel like that I'm not filled with the Spirit if I do not speak in tongues. And can I just say that in the book of Acts, which is what many people use when they talk about tongues, that if you count the six times in the book of Acts that the filling of the Spirit is used, only once is it in connection with speaking in tongues. The other five, it's in connection with totally something different than tongues. So... We need to have a biblical, balanced view of the filling of the Spirit. In fact, in this context, you'll notice that the evidence of the filling of the Spirit is actually, the first thing is worship or joy. Notice what he says in verse 19. Be filled by the Spirit. And if the Spirit of God fills you and I as Christians, guess what we're going to do? We're going to begin to speak to one another in Psalms hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making music in your heart to the Lord. First evidence, Paul says in Ephesians 5, is that first of all, the filling of the Spirit is going to produce joy in my life. A joy that's going to overflow in my praise and worship and singing praises to God. And so you show me a Christian who's joyful, who's full of the joy of the Lord, and I'll show you somebody who's allowing them at that moment to fill them. He's allowing or she's allowing the Holy Spirit of God to influence them and to control their behavior. And I love this. You'll notice the encouraging aspect. Because notice in verse 19, he's challenging the church. Guys, when you're filled with the Spirit, part of that responsibility is to encourage each other. As the Spirit of God takes over your life and encourages you and builds you up and strengthens you, then He wants you to use that joy and that overflowing of the Holy Spirit to speak to one another. Okay, so we have that mutual responsibility, which goes back to why we need to be together as the body of Christ and not be out there on some island isolated saying, I can worship God on my own, I don't need to go to church. Well, if that's so, how can you obey being filled with the Spirit and then speaking to each other this way? If you're going to do it on your own and be that Lone Ranger Christian. No, God called us to be in community with each other so that we could mutually encourage each other and build each other up in the body of Christ. See, I I just believe that every time you and I come to church and get together, we ought to be built up. We ought to be strengthened. We ought to be revived. We ought to be refreshed. We ought to be energized. The Spirit of God takes the Word of God, takes the people of God, takes the music of God, takes the presence and the power of God and builds up by speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. So the other thing is that from God's perspective, our praise should be very truthful and biblically based. God doesn't just want us singing anything. First of all, He wants us singing psalms. Well... I think there's an Old Testament book called that. And, and one of the cool things is we know that the Psalms really were songs. We don't have the sheet music anymore for those Psalms, which I wish we did. But the Psalms were songs. And so, you know, sometimes just singing Scripture and putting Scripture to music, which is what a lot of people do today, great hymns and spiritual songs. But the idea is that we're singing truth to each other. We're singing accuracy to each other, because what good is it going to do? What encouragement is it going to do if we're singing to each other, but we're not singing truth, we're not singing things that line up with the word of God, then it's really not going to be very encouraging. So God says, make sure that everything you speak to one another in your Psalms, hymns and spiritual songs go back to the foundation of the Bible and to the truth that the Bible teaches. But notice also this. It's not just ending with speaking to each other and encouraging each other, but there even comes that point as a Christian, and maybe we don't even want to admit it sometimes because we probably appear a little weird. That's okay. That we even make music in our heart to the Lord. In other words, sometimes it's that inward spiritual communion that just me and God are having. And, and maybe not even anything's coming out of my mouth, but I'm singing in here. And there's been times, I probably shouldn't even admit this. I've been going down the highway in my car. And there's no music on, but I'm singing in my heart. And there are people who pull up next to me at a stoplight and look at me like, what's up with that guy? And can I just say, you know what, I don't care, I got the joy of the Lord. The Lord is filling me up, and, and I'm just, I just want to praise Him right there. I don't even need the radio on. I mean, a lot of times I do, but a lot of times I'm just going. And I, it's just that overflow that God gives us when we allow the Spirit of God to fill us, to influence us, to control us, and it just flows out. And if we live that way, then obviously when we get together, we're just going to sort of spill over each other as well. And it's just going to overflow. That's why I encourage Christians, minister out of the overflow of what God is doing in your life. Minister out of the overflow. Let God be pouring His Spirit and His self into you so much that it just overflows. And when you get together with other Christians, it's just splashing out. That's what God is doing in your life. And when you and I begin to speak to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making music in your heart to the Lord... Notice another evidence of being filled with the Spirit. Always giving thanks. No wonder we need the Spirit of God. Because guess what? I don't always feel like giving thanks. And God in in the Word doesn't mean for us as Christians to give thanks for everything that happens in our life. I mean, obviously, God knows there's some things that happen in our life that just stink. They're just yuck. But God says as a Christian who truly believes in the sovereignty of God and believes in the greatness and goodness of God, in His character, that I can, by faith, and as I allow the Spirit of God to fill me, I can give thanks in everything. Because I know that God can even use those terrible things that I've went through to somehow bring good to someone else or even strengthen my life and, and, and bring me to a different place. But somehow God can even use those things because He's not limited by just working through the good. No, God can even take the yuck of our lives and He, if we allow Him to, and surrender that yuck to Him, can bring something good and eternal and glorifying to Him out of it. And that's why I can always... Give thanks to God. But again, I could never do that on my own. I could never do that in my own strength. I could only be in a position to always be thankful if I'm allowing the Spirit of God to continually influence my behavior, influence my thinking, control how I'm feeling, control my attitude, control my words, control my actions. And so, he also ends... In verse 21, that the Spirit of God will also lead me to not ever seek my own agenda, to not exalt self, but to be willing to mutually submit to one another in the body of Christ. So very easily, an outline here from just this passage. Being filled with the Spirit will elicit three things. Joyful, thankful, submissive. Just in this passage alone, Paul says, there are three evidences that a person is filled with the Holy Spirit of God. Are they joyful? Are they thankful? Are they willing to submit and not always be out for their own pushing of their own agenda, but submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ? Now, the amazing thing about this passage, too, that we've just looked through tonight a little bit, is it Paul, obviously, just didn't walk the walk, or talk the talk, he walked the walk. He exemplified exactly what he was sharing with the Ephesians in this book. Because as he wrote these words, let's not forget that he was a prisoner while he wrote these words. That life's circumstances for Paul at that point weren't just, you know, rosy, and that he had his freedom, and all of that. No, he was under house arrest. As he wrote these words. And also I want to share in closing tonight. Another example from Paul's life. I want you to go back. You can close from Ephesians. And go back to the book of Acts. To Acts chapter 16. And tonight because. We talked about the filling of the spirit. Being evidenced by worship and praise. And singing to each other. I asked Seth if. The guys would come out tonight. And end with a song. Because I just think how can we study this passage tonight on being filled with the Spirit and saying that part of the filling of the Spirit's evidence in our life is that we sing the praises of God without leaving with singing the praises of God. And notice how this is all brought together in another instance in Paul's life. I want to begin in Acts chapter 16 and verse 20. I'm sort of starting in the middle of the story, but if you want to read the whole story tonight, that's fine. But for the sake of time, I'm picking it up in verse 20 of chapter 16 of the book of Acts. When they had brought them before the magistrates, they said, these men are throwing our city into confusion. They are Jews and are advocating customs that are not lawful for us to accept or practice since we are Romans. The crowd joined the attack against them and the magistrates tore the clothes off Paul and Silas and ordered them to be beaten with rods. Can I just say... I've never been beaten with rods, but that doesn't sound very good. And then, after they had been beaten severely, they threw them into prison and commanded the jailer to guard them securely. Receiving such orders, he threw them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. Now before I read verse 25, If you and I have been through what Paul just was through, including Paul and Silas, And we would be trying to navigate that moment in our own power and strength and wisdom and not releasing that moment to the Lord and allowing the Spirit of God to fill us. We'd be sitting there in that prison cell, sitting, soaking, and souring. We'd be having a pity party for ourselves. We'd be feeling sorry for ourselves. We'd be wondering why such a faithful servant like me has ended up like this. But because Paul and Silas were filled by the Spirit and allowing the Spirit of God to influence them to such a higher level than we could ever achieve humanly, notice the reaction of Paul in verse 25. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. If I would have been beaten with rods severely and thrown into prison, I doubt if I would have been in much of a mood to sing praises to God. But this passage, along with Ephesians 5, shows us just how powerful the filling of the Holy Spirit is. And how the Holy Spirit who fills us can rise us to a level that is so beyond where we could ever go on our own. And notice what God does with this moment. Suddenly a great earthquake occurred so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. Immediately all the doors flew open and the bonds of all the prisoners came loose. When the jailer woke up and saw the doors of the prison standing open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, because he assumed the prisoners had escaped. But Paul called out loudly, "'Do not harm yourself, for we are all here.'" Calling for lights, the jailer rushed in and fell down, trembling at the feet of Paul and Silas. Then he brought them outside and asked, "'Sirs, what must I do to be saved?' They replied, "'Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household.'" Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him, along with those who were with him in his house. At that hour of the night, he took them and washed their wounds. Then he and all his family were baptized right away. The jailer brought them into his house and set food before them. And he rejoiced greatly that he had come to believe in God together with his entire household. Folks, God took a couple of Christians who were willing to be filled by the Spirit To bring a whole family to faith in Christ. And if God can do that with Paul and Silas. God can do that with you and I. In fact in the very next chapter. Chapter 17. The Bible says these Christians. Who are being filled with the Spirit. Are turning the world upside down. And if God can do that back then. I guarantee you God can do the same thing. Through you and I today. All we need to do is relinquish control of our own lives. And say, Spirit of God, I'm going to allow you to fill me today, this hour, this moment, tomorrow, the next day. I'm going to allow you to influence my intellect, my thinking, my attitudes, my actions, my speech, the direction of my life, the passion of my heart. Be filled with the Spirit. And God can use your life to impact other people. God can use this church to turn this community upside down. Let's be filled with the Spirit of God. Let's pray. God, as we come to this moment where we're going to lift up our praises to you. I, I, it is my desire that before we sing one word tonight of praise to you. That we are allowing the Spirit of God to take over right now. And that our praise to you is going to be praise from a spirit-filled believer. That we're saying, Spirit of God, take over. And, and if that, that means if the Spirit of God says, raise your hand, we're going to raise our hand. And if the Spirit of God says, shout, if the Spirit of God says, I want you to sing like you have never sung before. And I want you to make a joyful noise to the Lord that we will do whatever the Spirit of God is guiding us to do. And that God, some of us may even dance out of here tonight into the parking lot because we're just being led by the Spirit of God and we're being filled by the Spirit of God. What, God, you can do with a group of people that will just allow the Spirit of God to take over our lives. God, I just want to say here tonight that as the privileged teacher of these folks on Tuesday night, would you just bless them And Lord, inhabit their being. May your presence and the Spirit of God just rest upon them tonight. And may they have a peace and a stability and a security and a calmness and a tranquility and a strength that only comes by being filled with the Spirit of God. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.